It is wonderful to be here with you this morning, to look out and see so many warm and wonderful and familiar faces, old colleagues and friends and new friends. I'm always grateful for the time I spent at Christ Church, for the invitation that Stephen extended to me now almost 13 years ago, because without Christ Church, there would have been no Park Avenue Church for me. And in many ways, this church is part of my home. You have been and are the wind beneath my wings, my neighbor, literally and spiritually, which doesn't always happen. And so for me to come just these 26 blocks south is a good day and a day that I have been looking forward to. I must confess that on mornings like this, following such a tragic and horrific and senseless killing of 49 people last Sunday morning and even more injured, that preaching is difficult. A time intended for joy and fun and celebration ended in so much sorrow and more to come. Sons and daughters, spouses, partners, friends, and colleagues gone too soon again. A reminder of the fragility of life, but also of the hatred and anger an indifference that pervades our world. When will it end? And so we gather ourselves together looking for good news, some sign of God's spirit in the midst of the chaos and mayhem, the brokenness, fragility of life. We ask the question that we just sang, is there a bomb in Gilead? Is there a physician here hoovering over these United States of America and our world? Is there a bomb infiltrating the broken and dark places in which we find ourselves? It is the morning cry of every generation, the question of the faithful as well as the unfaithful, the lament when there are no other words, only tears and a broken heart and minds that are troubled. We ask God, is there a word from you, a bomb, some ointment, you see, some kind of salve to heal the wounds so deeply penetrated? It is the song of the oppressed and the powerless when life seems to make no sense at all. And yes, we ask the question, but we also know the answer, don't we? We gather to say, yes, there is a ball. There is something here that can heal the sin-sick soul. There is another witness beyond that what our eyes see and our ears hear. Even here and even now, we see a flicker of God's spirit breaking forth. We hear the prayers and sing the hymns and the psalmists and, oh my, to listen to Laquita sing. And when we do, we know 
that all hope is not lost. The psalm assigned for today is Psalm 42, just like a deer that craves streams of water, my whole being craves for you, O God. My whole being thirsts for God, for the living God. When will I see God's face? In our gospel lesson, we find Jesus coming into a town. Luke calls it the country of the Gerasenes. It draws its name from two major cities on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They were Gentile towns. But Jesus goes there nonetheless. And there was a man who approached him as soon as he got out of the boat. A man possessed and troubled. A man out of his right mind. Consumed with so much mess. For a long time, he had been running around naked and living in the graveyard. Oh my, can you imagine? He lived among the dead day after day, night after night. And Jesus set him free and delivered him from himself. And the man fell on his knees and began to shout out even more loudly, What have you to do with me, Jesus? I beg you, do not torment me. My brothers and sisters, Jesus comes along to heal us if we let him. We ask ourselves, are we holding on to our demons? Are we holding on to thoughts and feelings and attitudes that obsess and possess us, that cause us to spiral out of control? Are we holding on to our fears and our anxieties? to our sense of entitlement, to those things that are hidden that we refuse to be honest about? Are we holding on to walls that separate us, building them higher, refusing to allow bridges that allow us to walk across and take a closer look? We ask ourselves about those sources of pain and old wounds, those landmines that trip us up when we are not paying close attention, that continue to haunt and spill out in hurtful ways at the most inopportune time. And let me just say, we all have a few of them. Make no mistake about it. And we need to be working on our own demons. You know, we're shaped by many things. From the moment we draw our first breath, we're shaped and formed by thoughts and attitudes and opinions, nuances from our parents and grandparents. We just inherited other people's stuff. The things we read in the history books from teachers and from our broader surroundings, from television and politicians, even from the church, we're shaped formed by notions of race and gender and sexuality and class and finances and politics and what they all mean, who's in and who's out and are placed in the midst of it all. We're shaped by our fears and our insecurities as well as our love 
and the what-ifs of life. You see, we're shaped by the what-ifs of life and the just-in-case of life, even when they are totally absurd. Sometimes those thoughts run deep, very deep, and they're hard to shake loose. We think we have overcome, but then something happens. Some trigger is pushed, some unexpected button, some landmine. For some of us, we have to spend almost the entirety of our lives trying to undo and unlearn things that we learned so long ago. We have to figure out how to overcome in an ever-changing world, a world screaming to be better, yearning for one common human race. I believe that God calls the church in every age to be a beautiful tapestry of hope and love displayed before this world, a place where all people are welcome, really welcome, and differences are not simply tolerated, but are embraced and celebrated, where collectively we bear witness that there is something greater than all of our differences and all of our misunderstandings and all of our wounds put together place where we no longer need a taskmaster to show us the way, but we have embraced a better way, a world in which we're willing to cross over to the other side and get to know the other in a very real way, to throw down our weapons once and for all, to open our eyes to see that all lives matter. My life matters. You better believe it. And your life matters. And not because of where you live or where you worship, but your life and my life matters just because we are. We are a new creation, being made new by the love of Jesus Christ. And I want to be. I really do. I, I want to be a new creation every day. And I'm tired of the mess. I'm tired of it. Aren't you? I'm tired of being the only black something. Or the only woman something. Of being the first of something. I'm tired of people telling me what I cannot do. Or who I cannot be just because they are afraid. My soul is weary from the fight and the woundedness and the callousness toward human life. I want a better world for my sons and my daughter-in-laws and my grandsons and, and my family and my people and all of us. I want a better world. And it's not going to get better until we make it better. And we don't get to pick the issues, you see. We don't get to pick the issues. The great tragedy, I think, and the thing that I fear most is that even after Orlando, we will go back to our places of comfort and do nothing. That good people will be able to dislocate ourselves from the reality 
which is really so easy to do because we all have our pain. The great tragedy is that we might somehow be complicit with our ideologies and our theologies and our refusal to see things as they are, to ignore the signs of derangement and hatred that continues to spill over and over and to refuse to recognize that we are bound together truly, that we will breathe a sigh of relief and whisper a prayer of thanksgiving. It's not my child this time. It's not my city. It's not my brother or sister. It's not my problem. That's the great tragedy. Jesus asked the man, what is your name? And he said, my name is Legion. He didn't say, my name is Steve or Mark or Paul or Sammy. No. He said, my name is Legion, for I am a complex entity. I'm complex and I'm complicated, and I am a myriad of things, and I'm confused. I am the self I want to be and the self other people think I am, and I'm also the self that I really am. I am Legion. Aren't we all? (laughs) You know, that's the kind of honesty that is helpful for us, I think. Perhaps that is really the first step, clarity and understanding about who we are. I am legion in need of healing, in need of help, in need of a bomb and the love of God infiltrated in my life. Here's what I think. We can get this thing right if we all comply. When all biases are laid to rest. Last week it was a nightclub in Orlando. Last November it was the streets of Paris. Just last June, one year ago, it was a Bible study in Charleston, South Carolina. Before that, a school in Newtown, Connecticut, It is the streets of Baltimore and Ferguson, and it is the thousands of children who live below the poverty line every day. The gazillion behind bars in the prison system. It is legion. Martin Luther King Jr. said it well. Even the vilest of hate cannot snuff out what God has done. Not even death can overshadow the faith that I have in Jesus Christ, that somehow we shall overcome, that forgiveness is possible, healing and reconciliation are possible, that there is good on the other side of evil, life after death, death after life, and most importantly, that God is alive, Jesus not only lives, but he reigns. Luke tells us that in the end, the man was sitting there at Jesus' feet, and he was clothed, fully clothed, transformed and changed. He was clothed and in his right mind. 
Jesus, the healer of our every ills, the hope of our bright tomorrows, comes where we are, even if he has to cross over to the other side, to cross all boundaries in order to make peace. And my brothers and sisters, that is our work as well, to be willing to cross to the other side so that the love of God might be a reality and we live out our mission to love God above all else and our neighbors as ourselves.